What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside, a podcast about working for a church, going to church, being around church without losing your soul. My name is John Pyle, and I'll be your host and digital pastor today. Today, I talked to Kevin Nye, who has a book called Grace Will Lead Us Home, and he is just an amazing influence and a great thinker and a great, like, actual, like, actor in the space of the unhoused. And so Kevin and I have a great conversation about the unhoused, uh, which is more commonly known as homelessness, but unhoused is a better term, and we talk about that a little bit, um, and how to advocate for people and how to do justice through that and the challenges of doing that. And so Kevin has an amazing perspective. He also uh, goes into the non-judgment zone of joy, right? He gets a chance to uh, talk about what is bringing him joy right now. And he's a cool dude. This is an episode worth checking out. Hey, if you like the podcast, subscribe anywhere that you subscribe to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, podcatchers everywhere. And you could also be a part of our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash better on the inside. You could continue the conversation there. Hey, I would love it if you rated it and also shared it with your friends. All right, check out my conversation with Kevin. What's up, y'all? I am here with my friend, Kevin Nye. Kevin, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Yeah, I said nigh, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's cool. great. I wanted to make sure it wasn't one of those, like, it's actually me, um, yeah. you know, um, kind of deals. I should have asked you before we started recording. You're good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Kevin is somebody who I've met online. We haven't met in person yet. Uh, but oh. Kevin is someone who I just, man, I think is really cool and has been doing a lot of good work. Um, especially with the unhoused people and unhoused is a, like the, the better, right. The more gentler way to say homeless people. I think a lot of people would say homeless. Um, and I know that that's part of what you're known for. Yeah. It's a, it's a term that's kind of come into more common vernacular lately, just as a way of kind of subverting, I think the, uh, the, the neuropathways that, Go make you jump from hearing the word like a word like homeless to immediately making a lot of assumptions that are outside of that word uh, that may not be true. So for me, using unhoused or saying people experiencing homelessness, one of the things it does is kind of uh, just kind of make you take an extra second to think about what we're talking about rather than bringing in a bunch of, you know, cultural or, or media based stereotypes. Yeah. Well, and uh, people do bring in their own value judgments and stereotypes when it comes to unhoused folks, certainly. And that's the work you've done. The book, Grace Can Lead Us Home. And so I want to make sure that you get a chance to talk about your experience there, what made you write the book, and then just generally, like, what has been, what has your experience working with the unhoused been like? Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, What got you into that work to begin with? Uh, so I, you know, I grew up in a, a pretty traditional evangelical denomination. Um, I discerned at a pretty young age what I, I felt was a call to pastoral ministry. Mm. Uh, I pursued that. I went to my local uh, church university. I went to seminary with all the hopes and intentions of being a pastor. Um, and for a lot of different reasons that we could get into if you're interested, uh, or not, uh, we, I finished seminary and realized that that wasn't going to really be in the cards for me. So I was Mm. looking for, uh, for something to do with my life, with my career and energy that, um, still connected with my values that were still very faith-based and very, uh, social justice oriented. And I was living in LA and, you know, you put two and two together there that uh, Los Angeles, you can't spend a lot of time there without going. Uh, you do something about homelessness. And so that's Absolutely. where I started getting involved and, and got a job uh, in that field and, and spent um, six years there doing that work. And I've recently moved to Minneapolis where I'm continuing to do that work, um, but spent over six years doing it in Los Angeles. Yeah. Wow. And I, I am curious about your reasoning for not going the traditional pastoral route. Like what in going through seminary and in your observations, what made you go? "Eh, I don't know if that's for me anymore. Yeah, I think it's, 
it's a number of things. You know, the first one being that when I graduated my undergrad, the the most traditional career path for me would have been to become a youth pastor. And a lot of my peers did that. And then Mm -hmm. either youth pastor to senior pastor after 10 years pipeline. (laughs) Um, And I really didn't want to be a youth pastor. Um, I like youth ministry. I like young people, but that just didn't seem like it was the right fit. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go to seminary because if I'm not going to be doing that, I guess I should keep learning. And I really liked learning. I really liked, you know, I don't know that this word was uh, as common vernacular back then, but I really liked deconstructing my faith and really Mm. getting down to, you know, what the Bible, what the Bible says, uh, what are different ways that people have read the Bible throughout history. Um, And so I said, let's, let's just keep digging, I guess. And um, that, that journey led me to some conclusions that my denomination grew less and less uh, comfortable with. And so by the time I finished seminary and uh, was trying to look toward getting ordained, uh, those, those questions got harder and harder to answer uh, without being very honest. And my answers were less and less tolerable <laughs> to them. Mm-hmm. And we kind of reached a breaking point where uh, they didn't kick me out, but they said, you know, uh, you're never going to get ordained with your beliefs. So <laughs> figure that out, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Kind of pushing it off on me to do something rather than uh, them doing it something about it so yeah that's where that's where it ended up and um luckily i had already found myself in into the the career of homelessness by that point so it wasn't like i was pastoring a church independent on the income and then all this happened i i I know that's the story of so many and i i have so much uh compassion and and empathy for that um i was i was fortunate enough to to not be dependent on that yeah well, and they made the writing on, they put the writing on the wall for you. Like they were just yes. like, buddy, this isn't going to happen. Like, let's not, yep. let's not pretend. Right. And so I guess mm-hmm. there's some grace and clarity when it comes to that. Sure. Um, even though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, even though, you know, it, we could discuss the opinions of what that looks like and how that might have changed since then. Um, of course. But, yeah. and so you, you end up working with, you know, folks experiencing homelessness and the unhoused and no doubt carrying uh, just something sensing in, in our conversations and reading what you've written. Like there's a, there's a compassion within you that like draws you to that kind of work. It feels like. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Like, first of all, it, you are not like many of the folks that I've worked with or, or talked to or spoken with that work with the unhoused are kind of grizzled vet, vets, I'd call them, that have been doing sure. it for 20 or 30 years. And it's like, hey, this is what I do. And hey, this is the deal. Like you kind of started your career out doing something that not a lot of people start out in. And so what was that? What were the initial months and years like doing that kind of work? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't think I've have been asked that in that way before. Um, I think that, you know, I came in with a lot of energy and a lot of hope and optimism. And um, I still have some of those things, um, <laughs> but they've changed and they've transformed to, I think, some things that are more, uh, sustainable in, in a sense. Um, I think something that often young people who start out in helping professions, um, come in with a, maybe not super clearly defined, but sort of a, an innate, uh, savior complex, Mm. um, for some that's more pronounced than others. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, but I definitely had that and, um, in, in a way that I think is less pronounced than, you know, I came in wanting to like save souls or anything like that. But I, I definitely right. came in going, I, I am here to make a difference and I am here to like almost be a, be the, be a hero. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, totally. Oh, like 
everyone, you're welcome, everyone, for yeah. <laughs> lending my <laughs> services to this field, you know. Um, and I think very quickly, because the organization that I worked with didn't, didn't value that, um, mm. what the organization I worked with valued was community and relationships. And I was prompted and placed in a position where my primary role was not to case manage people. It wasn't to even house people. Uh, it was to hold space and to get to know people. Um, wow. and I'm kind of forever grateful for that being my introduction to this field because it very quickly flattened the ground, um, that would normally be, you know, hierarchical or, um, paternalistic, uh, yeah. and, and made it just a place where, uh, you know, people are in community with one another. Yeah. And, and certainly I had a role to play in providing, and partnering with uh, getting access to some resources, but it wasn't a, uh, it's, it's shifted the power dynamic, if you will. Yeah, man, that is so cool because I think you bring up a, a kind of nuanced and like, really like, it makes me think of like, it's not a one-on-one level course. It's a, it's a graduate level course of if you get involved with working with unhoused people, so that they cannot be unhoused anymore and get them a house and you're the one that makes a difference, you're missing a big part of it. Mm -hmm. You're missing a big part of the challenge and the problem and you're overlooking their humanity in favor of your like hero complex. Absolutely. And that's, that is such a huge point because it feels like a lot of folks are just like, yeah, man, I'm passionate about this, but what they're passionate about is the high of of giving the help mm-hmm. um, and the way that they would define the help, not the way that the folks who are experiencing that would define the help. Yeah. And so often that what's maintained in the way that that help is delivered is that hierarchy. You know, it's mm. like, I'm going to get you into housing, uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be the housing that I choose for you. And it's going to be, subpar and you're going to be grateful <laughs> for it you know right um, and how dare you question yeah how dare you question i'm doing this good thing for you right yeah 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 wow. there's a lot of there's a lot of language in programs like that of uh people being ungrateful or people uh being resistant to help when actually what they're resisting is you <laughs> mm, whoa that's a word right there um, people aren't resisting help. They're resisting you. Good night. Oh, that's a good one. So I, man, we could, we could do that. And so we could talk about that forever. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. And so moving beyond some of these hierarchical systems of helping the unhoused, what, what is the, cause here's what I do generally know and believe about people most people that I know are like, yeah, we should make sure that people have houses. Like let's, 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 let's allow people to be safe. Like that's a general kind of feeling. So how do we move from, Hey, people do care about this problem and want to make it better to a non hierarchical, very human, like Imago day, like seeing everybody as God's creation kind of, I I don't want to say solution, but kind of advocacy. Yeah. I mean, it only happens in, in relationship and communion with the people who are experiencing it. And that's, Mm. that's what's so often missing is because of that, that hierarchy, right. That says I, the helper know what you need and I'm going to give it to you and you're going to graciously accept it. Right. Rather than I, who maybe has privilege and access to resources am going to partner along with you to achieve your goals and your hopes, right? Mm. And, that's, and often those can lead maybe to the same thing, but it's directed by the person who is one, the expert of their own experience, is the one who, who knows what they need and what order they need to do things in. Um, and, and that may fly up against what you think is right and what you think yeah. is the best path forward and maybe maybe you're right and they're wrong but who who of us can say that our our own journey toward 
you know, wellness or yeah. uh, flourishing has been <laughs> linear and always one step yep. forward and never any steps back, never any sidesteps, never any distractions or things that went the way that we didn't hope they would, you know? Um, yeah. But that's, that's the journey. And, you know, I think for, for Christians, for anyone that wants to get involved in this work, it's, it's just coming along for the journey and providing leveraging your resources to make that journey easier and, and smoother, but not in a, any sort of transactional sense. Hmm. Man, but Kevin, that doesn't look good for the year end giving summary. And that doesn't give us the, like the, uh, gosh, serotonin, like a dopamine rush, like that doesn't give us that. And so, but I mean, oh gosh, what you're talking about is a long-term solution, mm-hmm. not a band-aid that kind of fixes the thing. And so, I mean, theoretically, let's pretend whatever city you're in just built the exact number of houses for the folks that are unhoused. That still doesn't solve the problem uh, because the problem isn't just a dwelling, a shelter. The problem is something much larger than that, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to discount how crucial that that piece is. I'm I'm a proponent of the housing first model that says, yeah. you know, people who are experiencing homelessness should be provided housing and adequate housing, uh, housing that matches their needs, housing, housing that is desirable should be provided options for housing. Uh, and from and all without any prerequisites. Right. You were just given mm-hmm. housing. And then everything else after that is optional, right? That you have the opportunity to, to better, to better yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, but we're going to provide you this baseline of housing. So housing first, certainly not housing only, uh, but housing is an intervention that, that really does help with everything else. Like your ability to manage your mental health, your physical health, your, your employment, your substance use, all is so much easier if you have housing than if you don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even down to the <laughs> the idea of what do you put on an application for a driver's license or what do you put yeah, on or, a job application? H- housing does some of that stuff. Or where do you receive that driver's license when you go to the it, DMV? Like, where do you get point. your mail? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's something that most people don't think about of the agency that kind of comes with having some things that we take for granted that unhoused folks don't have. Right. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of reasons that people can become unhoused, but regardless, I think there's something in, just giving folks the opportunity for, for shelter and the dignity of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the housing for, I mean, housing first makes a ton of sense in terms of, you know, how you kind of work with unhoused folks and what that looks like. And so part of who we speak to, we speak to individuals, we speak to church leaders, we speak to a lot of different people if you were someone who wanted to get invested in this and help and to actually help, right? Cause a lot of what church programs are is a, I, I want to say it in the most positive light, but are just kind of a, a toe dip into the water of, of unhoused folks and what that looks like. And, and you kind of give people, ex, you give people, you give people to see it. There's an awareness of it. And so after awareness, what, what would you recommend people do to kind of work on this in their area? Yeah. I mean, it really, it's an extremely political issue and I really do encourage people to get uh, involved. You know, we've got a big election coming up in a month, right? And you're going to be hearing so much about the midterms and how you need to vote Mm. in the midterms because of what the makeup of the Senate and the house is how that's going to affect these really big issues. Right. And I'm not going to take anything away from that by any means. However, what happens in your local community about homelessness 
happens really far down the ballot. Uh, mm. It happens on that stuff that we don't tend to do our research on. That yeah. by the time we get to it on the ballot, we're like, oh, I haven't seen any yard signs about that. I don't know what I'm supposed to to feel. And those are the things that really drastically affect the lives and and mm. livelihoods of of vulnerable people in your neighborhoods. So yeah. I think that I think that church folk, all folk, need to spend a lot more time looking at you know who are your city controllers who are your judges who are your uh what what ballot measures are actually going to make a difference uh and what kind of difference are they going to make i think uh the the best thing i can suggest and and i don't i don't disparage churches that do even sort of low lower stakes programs like food and um clothing because so much of the homeless services delivery system depends on that because if the church is doing a meal, then the nonprofit can focus on housing instead of focus on making sure that people's stomachs are full. Right. Um, At the same time, I think that churches should really lean more into relational and community models. Um, Mm. If you do, sir, if you do have a meal, does it look like an assembly line or does it look like, you know, a, a community dinner? You know, and, right, and it's just right. those, those little things that that sort of declare value and values too. Mm. I, I say in my book that you know churches already have this model where everything is done in community, right? Uh, you know, small groups are gatherings right. of community. Potlucks yep. are big dinners where everyone brings the food. Yeah, yeah. Sunday mornings are we gather together and participate in Eucharist and communion and worship together. But so often yeah. our compassionate ministries are come through a line and get your, <laughs> get mm. your sack lunch and see you next week. You know, wow. like what yeah. we do, we, we just need to, we need to embrace that model for across the board. Yeah, man, that is so good. I want to jump back to the political point because I think it's really good. Can you give folks an example of what the kind of grassroots level politics uh, votes can affect? So like if it's a city controller, if it's a mayor, if it's a judge, what what does that change for the unhousing population? And how can that be positive or negative? Sure. I mean, usually there are pretty big buckets of money that you know cities and counties can use. Um, toward issues like homelessness and depending on who's in charge will decide how that money gets spent. Does it get spent on, you know, buying a hotel and turning it into supportive housing units or does it get given to the police and sanitation to go and throw homeless people's stuff away, you know, because mm. those are two approaches to homelessness that both claim they're addressing homelessness, but they're addressing them in very different ways. Right. Um, And I think this is something we have to really ask about our candidates too. There's, there's ways to say something like, and we, I see this all the time with very liberal mayors and city council people who say, you know, it's, it's inhumane that anyone should be sleeping out on the streets. And and more like compassionate people are read that and they go, Oh, this is a person that cares about homelessness. I'm going to vote for them. But what they mean is uh, they don't want people sleeping out on the streets. So they're going to go build like a disgusting giant tent shelter in the middle of the desert and Mm. force people to go into there and penalize them for sleeping outside. If they don't want to go into the shelter, which is not ending Mm. homelessness, it's moving it, you know? Right. And so we, we have to ask, more questions we have to ask better questions of of our candidates about homelessness apart from like do they think that all unhoused people are drug addicts and should go to jail uh most even the conservative ones now these days have strayed away from that language and are starting to use better buzzwords but their policies Mm. are the same right and so you just described 
so many folks frustration with politics in a mm-hmm. nutshell one side is more like we need to get these people off the streets and the other side is like it's inhumane for anybody to sleep on the streets and they're both proposing the same policy of yeah. <laughs> policy solution and so i'm in I, i'm a little i'm pretty ignorant on it to be totally honest like this topic and so in my city san antonio at some point they've kind of criminalized feeding homeless people and have tried that's, to track that's happening and, more and more. Yeah. And are trying to track everybody into some of these larger facilities. It sounds like, um, which in, when you actually talk to people who are unhoused, they don't want to go there. Um, yeah. because that, that place is a, is a nightmare for them. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't either. It, it Right. Because if you're thinking of it from the lens of non othering, right. If you're thinking of it from the lens of if this was my mother, my child, myself, where would I want them to be versus let me get this guy out of my face and out of my church, um, you would probably see it differently just because the stories of what happens in these facilities is pretty awful. And it sounds more like prison than it sounds like shelter. Absolutely. Well, and again, this is is what happens when we decide what we think is best for people without hearing from Mm -hmm. them because, uh, and, and again, this is, we, we, this is how we started the conversation was this paternalistic thing says, I know what's best for you. You should be sleeping indoors. And then when people don't, we think they're service resistant. They don't want help. They just want to sleep outside when actually Mm -hmm. we should be turning it, the question back on ourselves and going, why is our facility so bad that people would rather sleep outside than sleep in our shelter? Like, yeah, what's, what's wrong with what we're doing that like that sleeping in a tent on a sidewalk is more desirable than, than this facility that we spent millions of dollars to build. Like that's an indictment of us, not them. Mm. Dang. Woo. That'll preach. (laughs) That'll preach right there. Well, I mean, what you're talking about, though, is this idea of agency, right? And so much of poverty in general, again, po- the same way that, um, you know, ha- uh, un- the unhoused, right? The shelter isn't the only solution to the problem, but it is a solution. With poverty, it's like money isn't the only thing that's affecting poverty. There's this agency idea of, do I have control over my life and means to live in in a dignified way? Do I have the means to get a job, the means to do all these things? And so right. uh, challenging that I think is really important for people to get this idea of if you lost your agency, you'd be mad. Like if you just, if you couldn't choose where you lived, you'd be upset mm-hmm. and you might sleep outside because it, right. I, it's maybe outside and it might be cold or it might be hot, but at least you chose to be there. Yeah, and and I think so often when when unhoused people describe the benefits to living outside versus sleeping in these facilities, it always it always comes down to agency because usually these shelters have rules. Uh, so it's either it's either agency or it's uh, that the facilities are are bad and they're they're loud and they can't get a good night's sleep and right uh but ultimately it that that also that, that comes down to agency again right it's yeah. like i i when i'm in there i am stuck according in a community and a a set of of rules that i have no choice over i have no mm. power at all and the people who do have power don't seem to care uh yeah. and and so sleeping outside like there there is a freedom and with that becomes the the dark side of that, which is absolute vulnerability to yeah. any outside force, right? But at least within that, there's freedom. I can, I decide when I go to sleep. I decide when I wake up. I, yeah. you know, have a choice as to who who shares these spaces with me and who doesn't, or I can get up and go somewhere else. Yeah, um, all these things that are just yeah, very fundamental aspects of what it means to be be humans with with free will that we strip people of that and uh and then ask why they're not grateful for it yeah well i mean sleep is such a great example because we're all so picky about how we sleep 
Like, especially as you get older, you just get picky about how you sleep. Like some yeah. people need to have the white noise. Some people need this, or you have three pillows or one pillow, or like everybody has a, an arrangement that's comfortable for them for sleep. And we're all picky about it. And so if somebody imp imposed rules on your sleep and seemed ambivalent to your suffering, you would riot. Right. Like I, like it, you just, you would freak out. Yeah, um, and then and then add to that that within the same within earshot, there's sixty other people also sleeping or not sleeping that can cause you to sleep or not sleep. Yeah, man, and uh, so uh, during we had a historic freeze here in San Antonio a year or two ago, and we were kind of the northernmost spot, and one of our uh, our social action pastor uh, Damaris Cavazos Fike who's amazing, volunteered and our senior pastor agreed. We shut down the church for the week and the weekend. And this isn't just a rah-rah for us, Kevin, trust me. Um, it, we did good though. Um, but we but volunteered. Also, but to, also rah-rah for you guys. Yeah, Thank you. like we made, we made our facility a place for folks to come. And some of the conversations that you have to have is like, is there going to be a curfew? What are you gonna do about smoke breaks? What are you going to do about X, Y, and Z? And that was like a real introduction to some of the hardcore stuff you're talking about. Because for some folks, it's like you, you in your head, you don't even know that you do this, but you think, well, we're offering you a place to stay and it's warm and it's got food and it's free. But right there, there are there are some caveats to that, right? There are some things you have to abide by. And so learning what the, con the, the right conversation is around what, which of the, like what is grace and what is just unwise, right? And so, you know, I think I, I'm forgetting some of the things that we decided, but it, it was interesting talking with those folks about going, Oh man, like some people are like, Hey, this is great. Like at most places I can't do X, Y, or Z, or I can't leave after eight o'clock or I can't step outside to smoke. And then other people are kind of like, eh, like, I, I really don't like this thing that you're asking of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was a great education. So all yeah. that to say, like when you're faced with it, and again, this isn't just a hypothetical thing. This is Joe. Right. This is somebody that you've sat down and watched Jurassic Park with or whatever, like because you're watching a movie, you're hanging out, you're talking, you're understanding of like, oh, let's get you some clothes. Let's get you some socks. Let's get you the whole thing. But let's also like see you as a whole person. Yeah. Make it and mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's it's so interesting when churches do get there and, and have those conversations and have the openness to like actually have those thoughtfully, because I think there you can't run any program without boundaries. Right. Like, right. Because um, you guys also you probably had a limit on how many people you could take in, because if Absolutely. you took if you took everyone in, then people wouldn't be able to sleep. People would mm -hmm. be like there would be all kinds of problems. And so figuring out what your boundaries are and making sure that they're rooted in the right areas. Right. And, um, I think for me, the, the keys are always safety, you know, and mm -hmm. if you can connect it, if it's actually connected to safety, then it's worth keeping. And if it's not, it's probably more about control, you know? And, um, so things like curfews are curfews really about safety or are they about control? They're usually about control, you know, yeah. um, maybe they're about staffing issues. Like you don't have anyone to, you need to lock the door at some point, but that, I mean, that's, mm. that's a you problem, not a them problem. Um, that's true. and things like, uh, yeah, I mean, stuff like, uh, drug paraphernalia, right. Yeah. Um, do we, do we search people on the, when they come in or not? Is that about yeah. safety? You can make the argument it's about safety, but it's also it's also about control, you know. And yeah, um, is it fair to ask people to leave behind belongings that keep them safe when they're out on the streets when they come in? Uh, 
is it actually safer for people to maybe use drugs inside your facility than outside of it? That's where the right. conversations get really interesting and really uncomfortable, right? Um, yeah. But those are all conversations worth having. Absolutely. And they're worth having because they're conversations that you would have about a family member. Yes. They're conversations you would have about a good friend. It's not some, and I think so much of what you're talking about is rooted in you, you know, you talked about hierarchy, paternalistic, like this idea that people that are on house are lesser. And I think that is so baked into our culture that I know that I had a lot, I still have, I'm sure. And you people who are listening have probably heard them in this conversation. Like I know that there's a lot of blind spots that we have and a lot of bias we have that associate unhoused folks, folks that want shelter, folks that are suffering through poverty as less than us. And I, I know it's baked into our culture. And so if you can change that, I mean, it, the other, all of these nuanced things that you're talking about get a lot easier if you're not in a hierarchical of we have to help these poor people that are terrible and worse than us. Yep, absolutely. And ultimately, that's and ultimately sorry. That's Siri why decided to talk to me at some point. Yeah, that's all right. You know, Siri can jump in too. We can make this a yeah. uh, three person combo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think uh, that's exactly it. And that's why I chose to to write the book and make the book about mm. fundamentally grace because to me grace is this christian idea that says we when we're dealing with one another we deal with each other the way god deals with us and that's without prerequisite that's mm. without uh without expectation and it's without uh any any decisions about what we think people deserve or don't deserve based on wow. anything they've done or anything we perceive about them. All of that is out the window. Um, mm. And so if we, if we can start from that place with talking about homelessness, uh, yeah, everything does get a lot easier and it makes a lot of more sense. And it actually aligns with best practices that I've learned in this field that do work and that do address homelessness. Yeah. Wow. Man, I just, I, I don't want to get too much on my pastoral like high horse because sometimes I'll do that. Um, but I do encourage you, everybody that's listening to this, take a moment to really reflect and, and not even just reflect, but actively start to see the things that lower the dignity of the unhoused folks that give you the perspective that you're somehow superior, that make them a lower class of people and start to challenge those things in people's thinking in the way they talk about it. That's my, that's my encouragement of, cause to your point, none of us are more worthy than anyone else of grace. That's kind of like one of the big, like you can go across denominations, you yeah, can go across everything. Like that's just like, that's yeah. basic. That's basic. And so we like you as a person who have a steady income, who have a place to live, who are not addicted to drugs, whatever, you are not any better than an unhoused person who you're trying to serve. You're not superior in any way. Yeah. And, and I mean, in some ways it is, it is basic. And in other ways it is fundamentally not how Christians or certainly Americans approach mm. this issue or many related issues. Come on, brother. It's radical. It's still radical. Grace is scandalous. Like this idea of un like that you are not more deserving is scandalous. And it's in opposition to so much of what we're taught, which is your value is in what you produce. Yeah. Your value is in you, what you bring forward. It'll still get you killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That it it's true because grace yeah. doesn't make sense to people. It's not something that people go in in theory everyone goes, "Man, grace is a really good thing." And then you have to practice grace. And that that challenges your whole deal. Your whole deal. And I think it's probably I think it's probably accurate to say we've allowed ourselves to believe that unhoused folks are okay not to love. Mm -hmm. um, 
not like the love of like, oh, I love you from a distance, like far away, but like the, the, the good Samaritan kind of love that Jesus was talking about of loving your neighbor. We've kind of made it okay to not love those folks. They're easy not to love. And so that's the challenge. How do you do that? Well, and I I know we're gearing up toward the end and this (laughs) opens up a whole other can of worms, but I'm just going to throw it out there. So ponder it together. Uh, but I, I genuinely believe that part of why uh, we're we're so committed to that is because we have to, in order to keep bolstering this system up, where a lot of us get access to all of the things that we want, and mm. for and for a lot of people, uh, a low percentage, but a high number of people to hoard as much as they want. Um, you, you need an entire group of people who are, uh, who are poor and who have nothing and who you've convinced an entire society that they deserve to be that way in order for a small group of people to, to have way more than they need. Right. Right. Man, I love, I love the truth that you speak. And I love that because part of what, part of what I like about what you're talking about is that it is distinctly uncomfortable for everybody. And so for some of us, we're going to hear that and go, well, man, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Like, I don't feel like I have a lot. Okay. Sure. Some of us are going to hear that and go, gosh, I just ordered, this is a true story. I just ordered a bucket of bubble gum on Amazon for my kid's (laughs) baseball game. Like, like. And that doesn't make me evil, right? Like that's not, that's not what you're saying, but it's the idea of like, if you really think about it, did I really need to do that? Right. And so, but it's not, it's not vilifying those folks, but I think you're, you're forcing us into an uncomfortable reality to look at the system at large, not just our, our part in the system of we have Amazon delivery and it's fine because we don't make too much money. We're not billionaires. Um, but at the same time, acknowledging a system that would allow a group of people to be treated so terribly. Yeah. Um, and we, you kind of got to own a part of that to really yeah. do something about the problem. Absolutely. And, and there's a terrible thing that we do is we, uh, we support that system. A terrible thing mm. that we do is we defend that system but the very, very worst thing that we do is we christen that system. We say that that is that that's the way that it should be under under God, <laughs> under Ooh. Jesus. Um, the, and that that to me that's I don't know a pastor I don't know many pastors that would call it that, but to me that's that's what words like blasphemy are for. <laughs> oh man. Um, if you're not watching the video version, I just like put my, like, I'm, my face is, that was like a, that was like a thing. We christen, we christen systems that tell you that people are expendable and that they don't matter. And, oh yeah, I think, I do think blasphemy can be reserved for things like that. Um, and you know, I think so often we get extreme reactions to stuff like that of like woke liberal politics or whatever. And I I think part of the takeaway from this is that both conservative and liberal politicians suck about this. Um, So I I don't think it's one side or the other. One might be better, but um, in your area, but giving the church's blessing to something that is inhumane is what Jesus would call blasphemy and speak out about. It's what makes him flip tables. It what it's what makes him yell at the Pharisees. It's what makes him crack a whip. That is the kind of thing that he just could not get down with. Uh, yeah. More than individual sin, more than people doing like really potentially awful things to hurt other people. Like he's not for that. Um, but man, when when people are using power to tell people they don't matter. I, he just, Jesus gets pissed off about it. And so I think you're, you're bringing to the surface that what is blasphemy, if not that. Right. Something that grieves God. Well, you've given us a lot to chew on today, Kevin. 
thank you. That's what and I'm here this for. is. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I, it's probably gotta be hard to be the guy. I, this is a conversation I've had with some of my friends who preach of like, you never feel good after kind of a prophetic sermon because the point is to challenge people and to make them uncomfortable. And so if you're going off applause and laughs and everything, um, you're going to think you failed when in reality you may have done exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, so I'll say that it might be hard though to be the guy that's like, well, now that uh, you've you've bummed us out, Kevin. Um, cool. <laughs> Thank you for being for being here. Well, I guess no. You seem like it's a good yeah. thing they wouldn't let me be a pastor then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I. But there's so there's such room for that, and I think that truth telling and truth speaking is something that's very attractive to people. Um, and I thank you for continuing to use your voice prophetically. And all, not that you need me to do that, whatever. I don't, I don't have any sway over what you do, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, and it's a perfect transition to the non-judgment zone of joy where I ask you, Kevin Nye, what is bringing you joy right now? And usually I sing this intro, but Kevin and I were talking and, and we decided that we'd go a little bit of a different way with it. And so I'm going to do the intro. I'll still perform the intro, but I'm going to do it in like a NPR, maybe true crime style um, um, intro to the non-judgment zone of joy. All right. Take it, so Kevin, take it away, think, Sarah Koenig. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think of Only Murders in the Building, uh, which is one yes. of my favorites. Cinda Kane, I think, is her name on the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, Kevin, you just think of your answer, and I'm going to do it. Joy. What a simple concept. But what happens when the joy in our lives goes missing? Join us this fall for 12 episodes of the True Crime Podcast the non-judgment zone of joy. What happens when we stop judging our joy? All right, I think that's... Okay, and I'm going to give everyone a minute. They can uh, turn their volume back down from having to yeah. turn it up to hear you in the in your NPR voice. Uh, so we're speaking in normal volume now. Uh, yeah. what's, what's bringing me joy? Um, I Well, you mentioned Only Murders in the Building. Uh, that's a great show, and I, I love great the show. season. It brought me a lot of joy. Uh, I also I love comic books. It's it's a hobby that I loved as a kid, and then allowed myself to stop because I thought it wasn't cool anymore. Yeah. While secretly, I think for twenty years, I still really wanted to do it. I finally let myself do it again, and just yesterday, I got a comic in the mail. I got a great deal on it. It's a really like historic like valuable issue of amazing spider-man for those who care it's issue number 39 uh, yeah what is and, it i want to know yeah so it's the issue where uh norman osborn is revealed to be the green goblin where he unmasks wow. spider-man learns that he's peter parker uh and on top of it it's the first issue that one of the best and most legendary comic book artists john ramita senior drew for amazing spider-man uh, wow. and, and when you get an old comic like that, cause this comic is from the sixties, uh, you never really know what condition it's going to be in. And I only saw a couple pictures when I hit purchase cause it looked pretty good and it came and it is, it is beautiful. Oh, yes. That is such a victory. Yes. So I'm so that happy. It, oh. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm going all out. I'm getting it cleaned and pressed and I'm going to send it in. Uh, to CGC, who actually rates comics. They give it a number for how yeah. good the condition is, and they encase it so that it stays in that condition. I'm going all out for this one. A lot of joy I there. love it. As you should. I mean, that you just brought me joy with that. You got me <laughs> so excited about that. I, I'd never read comic books growing up and only recently have I been checking stuff out at the library as I've gotten more into Marvel and Star Wars and like, the expanded universes of those and learning more about it. So I, I just read secret wars. Oh yeah. The, uh, which, which one? The one from, okay. Yeah. Great question. I started the old one okay. and was kind of like, eh. and then I read the new, the Jonathan Hickman one mm -hmm. and they have like a big illustrated graphic one for that. 
and I read that one because I'm convinced that's where Marvel's going. I think that's where the MCU is headed right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think they're going to take the best from both and and mash them into the movie. That's my yeah. perception. Yeah. What I liked about the first one was that it was a little more. Um, it was almost like Bloodsport or one of those like tournament combaty kind of movies where it was just like there were clear lines, like it was just like mm-hmm. super clear. And then the newer one is a little more like like esoteric and and all that stuff and. But I think Kang the Conqueror will play a big role in that. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Marvel chat, man. Well, Kevin, I'm so glad you have the amazing Spider-Man. And as soon as you said Norman Osborn, the first thing that came to my mind was, I am somewhat of a scientist myself. Um, yeah. From Classic. the Spider-Man movie. Of course. So many great memes. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you have the comic, that you're getting it rated press, the whole deal. And thank you for sharing so much about your book. Uh, Grace can lead us home. Mm-hmm. All right. Pick it up wherever you buy books. Is there a better place to buy it than Amazon? Uh, I, I mean, certainly uh, Amazon doesn't do a lot for for authors and for publishers other than exposure. So, um, yeah, you can buy it straight from the publisher. Barnes & Noble has it. Uh, bookshop.org has it. Or you can go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it, and they will. Yeah. Pick up. Grace can lead us home. Thank you, Kevin, for hanging out with us today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Dude, what Kevin had to say was really, really challenging and just really sobering to think about the problem that folks are dealing with that are unhoused and the way that we can advocate for them. And there's a lot of work to do in that space. And I'm so thankful for his vulnerability and sharing what he's experienced in his time getting into the work. And also through his book, Grace Will Lead Us Home. Please buy that book wherever you buy books. Um, It is a really good one to check out and to learn. I also appreciated that non-judgment zone of joy. That was a really good one and you know since he's not really a music guy we got a we got a little creative there uh it was cool anyway thank you guys so much for being a part of this and being a part of better on the inside it's a community that i love and that i appreciate rate us five stars share us with your friends subscribe to the podcast do all the things that you do join the facebook group and also buy kevin's book that would be really cool all right we have some more conversations coming up with you guys see you later